From the verb innovare, which means simply to innovate, to reform, or to change. But what is innovation? It's often tough to define, but we know it when we see it. It's a new idea, creative thoughts, new imaginations, methods, theories, it's bettering ourselves. But we take these actions often out of necessity. So what if we could harness the scrapper mentality, the hustler, the actions of those who are just trying to survive and put it into everyday use? This is my passion project. I've attended some of the world's largest innovation conferences, developed the latest and greatest technology, and produced change within organizations who were built on and preach tradition. Now I'm here to help entrepreneurs and everyday individuals make small changes and establish a new normal through new methods, ideas, and standards to change your life forever. I'm Roy Edwards, and welcome to the Innovari Project. Welcome you to Innovare. Yeah, this is where we innovate. This is the podcast where changes are made. If you're not growing, then you're dying. Innovation is the key to surviving. This is Innovare, where we ain't scared to make that change and create a new way. Uh huh. If you're ready to learn and sit back and just chill, it's about to get real. This is Innovare. What's up, guys? Welcome into the Innovare Podcast. My name's Roy Edwards. I'm your host. This is the podcast that helps you innovate, change, and get 1% better. That's what we're all about. We're all about the mindset of the entrepreneur. Today, we got a great episode on mindset as we have Lauren Johnson in who did sports psychology for the New York Yankees recently. So we got a great conversation with that. But before we dive into that, guys, there's a fee, please. Please, if you could, like and subscribe on the platform that you listen to. If you're on iTunes and you write us a review, it'll help us out tremendously. That's how we get our rankings. That's how, you know, when you see that we're in the top 100 for tech podcasts, it all pulls from iTunes. iTunes. I don't know why, but it does. But it, And subscribing on Spotify helps us as well in those rankings. So that's the fee. And guys, if you're an entrepreneur and you're having trouble with mindset, you're having trouble with processes, you feel like you're just running in circles – Hit me up, man. Send me a DM. Go to InnovariPodcast.com. There's a contact form there. Reach out to me. Or join our Innovare Mindset group on Facebook. There's a ton of entrepreneurs there that are all working together to better the world and to better each other, and they will be happy to answer your question. But DM me. Let's talk. I will, uh, I'll help you out, and we'll, be, uh, we'll come best friends, and we'll just chat about it. I promise. I don't bite. And it'll be, uh, it'll be just like a, just a, good old, a good old time. That's all. It'll be like two people hanging out, having a beer, or drinking water, whatever you're into. But yeah, hit me up, innovaripodcast.com. Now, today's episode, like I said, it revolves around mindset, sports psychology. Her name is Lauren Johnson. She has national speaking engagement. She's awesome. This was an awesome conversation all about mental conditioning and mindset. So, without further ado, let's get started. Lauren Johnson is an athlete turned mental conditioning coach who is highly motivating and relatable with a passion for developing the minds of the elite. Lauren trains professional athletes, military personnel, and business professionals through national speaking engagements, educational training workshops, and consulting. For the past four years, Lauren served as the mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees, where she was responsible for aiding in the development of athletes and staff through education, application, and support. Welcome into the Inavari podcast, 
Lauren Johnson. And what's up, Lauren? <laughs> Not much. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be here. Your man, your intro just hyped me up. I love that. <laughs> we'll have to tag Joey in the in the comments. So somebody tag Joey Yak in the comments so that he can know that Lauren is is seeking him. But yeah, so that, that's I feel like that's the second week in a row it's come up with with my man Joey. I was actually in St. Louis on Monday and Tuesday this week shooting some videos. So he's a he's the man toured with bone thugs he's the he's that dude but hey we need to connect joey there we go but you are the woman of the hour and uh it it, i although you do have the yankees in your background which i was raised to hate the yankees so we are you know it's not my fault i was just born that way and i i grew up a a orioles fan technically i guess i was like a cubs orioles fan. i live in dc we didn't have a baseball Mm -hmm. team so it was like yeah here Orioles, I guess, <laughs> like this crap team. I'm like, what? But I'm a Nationals fan now because I have better sense than the people in Baltimore. <laughs> Fair enough. So we'll talk a lot about baseball today. And But before we get into any of that, how did you, I guess, athlete turned mental conditioning coach, but like, what's the backstory there that that led you to this career? So I, I grew up in a very, like, my dad was insanely athletic. And uh, so, and my brother was also had the athletic gene. And so we just, we were an athletics family and I grew up loving soccer. Um, and so much so that I went on to play, um, in college. And I, I think the reason why I love soccer so much, because it was equally enjoyable, but also challenging. It was that one area where it didn't matter who you are, what your background was, when you stepped on the field, none of that mattered. It was, can you perform when it matters? And so uh, to me, it was always really challenging and pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And that's, that's honestly where, uh, you know, where I learned a lot of my own life lessons was, you know, on the field and working with the team. And so it was actually my, my junior, no, my senior year of college, third game into my senior year, I just come back from my fourth concussion. Um, and I got my fifth one that game. And I knew the moment it happened, um, it was off of a header. A girl took, I mean, it was a pretty hard shot uh, that she took and I got in the way of the ball, headed it out. And um, I just knew in that moment that I got another one. And my neurologist at the time, you know, he came up to me after, you know, looking at my brain scans and he said, you know, Lauren, it's just not safe. You know, you, you may, you may not be able to remember your name when you're 50. Like I can't guarantee the damage you've already sustained won't be permanent if you get another one. So I had to kind of, you know, accept that. And thankfully I was at a school that allowed me to remain on the team, but I did have a little extra time since I wasn't, you know, even though I was going to practices, I wasn't practicing. I wasn't training, you know, the way that I was before. So I took an elective course in sports psychology. And at the time I was getting my degree in kinesiology, you know, thinking about going and doing a um, physical therapy. So I take this online or this, uh, this elective course, And I just fell in love with it. And I just saw myself in all of the stories, all of the theories, all of the skills that they were teaching, because, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, why do you, why do you love what you do so much? And I just think that it initially pulled me in because I was the athlete that needed it. I was the person that constantly got in my own way. And, and, uh, you know, when I wasn't able to perform at my best, you know, I could look back at these theories. And I'm like, oh, I see what I was doing wrong. I see how I was limiting myself, limiting my growth, getting in the way. And so I decided, you know, that's what I want to do. So I finished my degree and I go and I get my master's degree in performance psychology. And, 
it was right out of grad school. I had two job offers initially, which is like a grad student's dream. I was on cloud nine and it took me a while to decide which one I wanted, but I finally ended up choosing one. And the only, the only catch was that it was going to take about six months to get placed. And it was normal for this position. So I was like, no problem. Hey, I get another summer before adult life. So I take the six months and um, I don't hear anything. And I'm curious because I know people that are close to me that got similar positions and they were all getting placed. And I was like, huh. So I, I reach out and I was like, hey, just checking to see if I'm going to get my placement soon. And I get an email back that said, we're sorry, the job is no longer available. And so here I am six months out. I can't call the other people back because they've already fulfilled that position. And now I'm sitting here and I have nothing. And I call, I reach out to all my network connections. You know, sports psychology jobs aren't the easiest to come by. You can't go on like indeed.com and type in, you know, sports psychology jobs. And so I was kind of stuck. So what I realized is that, well, I need to make money somehow. So I, what I did is I started, uh, I got a job at Starbucks. And so my job at Starbucks is actually the reason why I'm here today. And it was all because of this one day. I was working the drive-thru and one of the, your, your job when you're working the drive-thru is to entertain the customer while they are, uh, their drinks being made. And this guy, you know, we start talking and he goes, so um, are you in school right now? And I said, no, I actually just finished. He goes, great. What did you get your degree in? And proudly, I was like, oh, performance psychology. And he just starts laughing. Like full on belly laughing at like in my face, just laughing. And I'm so confused. And I look at him and I said, excuse me, you know, what's so funny? And he's like, oh, you got one of those degrees you'll never use. Oh, and I was so upset. I couldn't even hand him his drink. I made somebody else hand him his drink. I walked away. I was so upset. I was like, what a jerk. Like, you don't even know who I am. And I just was so angry. But the thing is, it kept getting worse throughout the rest of the day. I kept ruminating and ruminating. And I was so upset. And then I got mad because I was upset. I'm like, this guy doesn't even know you. Like, What does it matter if he, he says this about you or not? And that's when I realized. I wasn't mad because he was rude, even though he was. I was mad because part of what he said was right. If an athlete, if a, if a client of mine would have come to me and said, oh man, Lauren, I hit this roadblock. I would have told them that you need to find another way. And here I was sitting at Starbucks, comfortable, not finding another way and waiting for the path to just open up. And so it was that very night that I realized, Lauren, if you're going to be a good mental coach, if you're going to be like one of the best in the world, which is my dream, how the hell are you going to do that if you can't take your own advice? And so that night I Googled how to start your own consulting company. And I started my own consulting company. And after grinding it out, doing a lot of things for free, getting a lot of no's and, and like, you know, my emails being ignored. Um, after a year's time of kind of building that up, um, I got an opportunity with the Yankees. And I got the job and I spent the next four years as the mental conditioning coordinator um, for the New York Yankees, you know, with throughout their minor league system. Um, I was a part of a team of six. And um, just recently, about three months ago, I decided not to resign with another contract and to go off on my own. And so here I am now at 
Lauren Johnson and Co. and working with uh, you know athletes and and uh, CEOs and business personnel and um, some military. And yeah, so that's kind of, that's the story. I know it was a long-winded story, but story from where I got from sports to where I am now. Now yeah, that's an awesome story. I, I love the like gut chuck, the gut punch things. Like it, it, I feel like every single one of us has that moment. Some, yeah. of, us, some of us have a few where yeah. <laughs> you have to get slapped in the face a few times, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Like I remember my son being born and me just being like, reevaluating everything and be like, what the hell am I doing? You know, like I need to like pull myself up and pull myself together here because this is not the, this is not what I thought, you know, like get, get yourself together kind of a moment, um, yeah. which you, you touched on a few things there, right? Like mental conditioning being the focus of that, in, of the entire story, which, um, so I'm 34 grew up in the, uh, you know, I'm an eighties baby grew up in the nineties, you know, if you Jay-Z yep. reference there. Um, <laughs> and like growing up in the nineties, it was like you played. So I played sports all through high school and I played club lacrosse in college and, and like mental conditioning and all that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Right. It was like, what do you, what do you mean you're soft? Like get out there. Like, what do you mean you're, you are have doubt, just go do it, you know, or, or go sit on the bench. Oh, you have, you're have doubt. Uh, you want somebody who knows they're going to be out there kind of a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was like a new concept, this like mental conditioning. So what is mental conditioning for those of us who are, are it, cause it is kind of a newer thing. Yeah, no. And it was even new when I was getting into it. I <laughs> shoot, I was reading this. I'm like, Oh my God, how did this, this exists? So yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. It was, it was definitely new to me too, but the way that I like to define mental toughness is being your best regardless of circumstance. And so what we teach are the skills to help you perform and to be your best. And so what that what we don't do, which is kind of an easy way to define this, is we don't do any clinical psychology. So any clinical issues or diagnoses, like that's not something that we do. We actually, uh, I myself, I collaborate with a lot of clinicians. If um, any of my clients, I start to notice any clinical issues develop, um, that goes beyond my education. What I work on is, um, is all about the psychology of the mind when it comes to sports. So things like confidence, things like focus, things like routines, things that help elevate our impact when we are performing and being able to manage and handle anything that comes our way, whether it's adversity, whether it's, um, you know, failure, all those kinds of things that come with performance and that come with um, either sport or business, or if you're a parent, it doesn't matter. It, it's transferable across so many domains. What changes the most is the language. Yeah. And so this is, you're starting to see this a lot more, like you mentioned a few things, right? Military, professional athletes, these high performance people who almost need to be reconditioned with their minds. Obviously they're very driven individuals because mm-hmm. they're at an elite level. Right. But some of them, a lot of them need to be reprogrammed in certain ways to handle those high pressure situations. And it, like, that's when you see athletes and stuff like that who have just completely killed it their entire lives. Right. High, highest athlete out there, you know, mm-hmm. all whatever and everything. And then they go to New York or LA or, wherever name the city and they freeze right and you being with the yankees nobody talks about the big lights and the big stage more than i think that the new york yankees so in dealing with people who are have come and played for the yankees like what were the some of the things that you talked did you talk to them about playing at yankee stadium and stuff like the the hype of new york city yeah. So um, myself and then also my director who's with the who was at or still is 
but mm-hmm. was my director, um, is at the major league level with those guys. That's something that they actually train them to be prepared for is what it looks like under those big lights. And what we know is that even if, even in the minor league system, like when you're first in rookie ball and then you go to your first full season team and you have a crowd for the first time, yeah. um, what that looks like. And actually there was a very interesting challenge actually in our system at the time, which was that you would go to a stadium or a, a team that drew a huge crowd. And then the next level up drew the smallest crowd out of all of our teams combined. Even though you're a level up, it just didn't, just because of the location, it didn't draw a crowd. And so you go from having this energy of the fans to not having any at all. To me, a lot of times that becomes more difficult to yeah. motivate yourself to get that energy on your own. So for me, I think that there's always there's those two sides to challenge. There's the we look at success and failure. I think that there's challenges to both. If we succeed, a lot of times, one of the things that can happen is we want to take our foot off the gas. We have this false sense of security. Like just because we succeeded once, we're going to succeed again. And and then on the flip side with failure, we all know the diff- that difficulty, struggling with that defeat and getting ourselves back up after that. So same with the crowds. I think that that can be really difficult. And again, there's a whole dedicated you know staff that they have to prepare people for New York because it's a different beast. When you're performing well, the crowd loves you. When you're not, they hate you. And so you have to be able to handle and manage and perform and kind of with your blinders on at times, because there's going to be so many things that are going to be pulling your attention and trying to gain your attention in any given moment. And you have to be able to direct it uh, effectively. How has this like, so how has this evolved since you've been going through college since you've been studying it. So I actually, I have a minor in sports psychology. I don't know if I told you that in the, in the, uh, you did not. That's amazing. Yeah, I, yeah, I do from West Virginia. And so like, I, I mean, I know a bunch of, I know enough to, to say buzzwords and probably Love get it. myself in trouble. Right. <laughs> um, like the flow state, right? And we can talk yeah, about it. I love it. Love right. it. <laughs> so like, but how has it evolved? So I, I was there. Oh, five was my, oh, no, oh, five was my first year. So 09 was my last year in school. And some of the things that I learned then still apply. Mm-hmm. Other things have changed tremendously in the last decade, right? So like how has mental preparation, mental conditioning, and the the just the awareness around it evolved since you studied and just over the past couple of years? Oh, man, at least I should say one of the biggest, I think the core principles of sports psychology, those core things, those like perennial principles, those don't change, right? Those can stand the test of time. But I think a lot of things that have changed is delivery. Um, I believe that there's the science of what we do, and then there's the art of what we do. And when you're applying this work, the art is really important. Not to say that the other one isn't. They're equally important, but the art of what you do is what's going to uh is what's going to make sure that we're effective. And so that's where I think a lot of change has been made in terms of how we deliver the content that there, the old, I guess, way of doing it was you, the only way you can be effective is if you're there with a person one-on-one sitting down in an office setting. And that's just not the case because it's not realistic for baseball. Some of my best sessions were had during shagging BP in the outfield And for me, trying not to get hit, but, um, or in the dugout in the middle of the game, 
you know, those are some of the best places to have those conversations and they don't need to be so formal in nature all of the time. So um, I think the delivery has changed a lot, um, especially when I first started in my internship, we were doing hour long sessions with, with teams. Now, man, I mean, not to say an hour long session isn't good every once in a while, but I actually recommend um, shorter, more consistent sessions because they're easily digestible. They can apply them immediately and then we can build on them as we go. So I think the delivery for the most part has changed a lot. And I know for me and for other people, there are certain theories that are freaking wonderful that I love, but I also think there's other ways to look at them. I don't like the word never in our, in our field because there's always an outlier. And we're not working with people in like in a, you know, a scientific study, you know, we don't have control groups. And so it's to say that, oh, well, this will never happen. It's just like, that's not, or this will never work for this person, or this is never the way to go. I just don't agree with that. I just think we have to be more flexible in our delivery and how we help somebody because every human is unique. We're not dealing with test subjects here. We're dealing with real human beings that have, you know, there's so many variables to their lives. Yeah. So I, I talk a lot about like negative core, uh, negative, negative correlation. Is that the is that the right word I'm talking about? That like speaking negative thoughts to yourself. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you're saying like never, so like can't is a bad word in my house. So mm -hmm. like my kids, they, my kids can't say can't. They can, mm -hmm. can curse like a sailor and throw things at the neighbors. Can't say can't. Right. So mm -hmm. it makes sense. But so like, how important is that when you're talking about people, and you're you're talking about self talk. And so you can correct me if I'm, if I'm totally off base here, but I believe part of sports psychology is like that negative highlight reel where we get into a situation, a scenario, and maybe we've had experiences in the past where something has or hasn't worked. And then we start relying on that highlight reel in our minds where we say, oh man, last time I was up here against this pitcher and he hit me or whatever right? Name the scenario. And, and so like something I, I bring that up because of what you just said, where you're saying like, I'll never say never in teaching somebody as well, because we all learn different and we go through those scenarios in our head where maybe you're teaching in front of a core, you're teaching in front of a class and they're like, have this negative, negative uh, correlation to what you're saying because they're in, they feel like they're in like a classroom and they right. got bad grades or something like that. Right. So how important is that is, getting over that negative highlight reel? And then how do you help people get over that negative yeah. highlight reel? So I love this topic um, because I think that better than the word, like, so never, the reason why I even say that is because a lot of times the skills we talk about and, or the skills that we say, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's based on situation. And so yeah, if you're pitching against somebody that maybe has hit off you before and the thought in your mind that goes, this guy took me yard last time. And so you start to get timid. You start to kind of freeze up. You start to play it safe and just play not to lose instead of playing to win. Um, that's right. That That's not something that's going to help you in that moment. And so that's where we would say, okay, that's probably not the right strategy. But I will tell you where negative thinking does become effective. That becomes effective during our planning stage. And so uh, there's a couple ways that we can do this. We can match visualization with this idea of contingency planning. So let's say you wanted to visualize, let's let's just say your, your goals. Hey, you have this goal of maybe writing a New York times bestseller. So you start imagining what that would be like to accomplish that goal. Then I would want you to stop it. I want you to now imagine 
what are the things that could possibly get in the way? What obstacles could possibly get in the way of you actually doing that? And I want to think internal and external. It might be internally, like some of the way that you're thinking, fear. Externally, it might be, man, your resources, the money, you know, maybe you don't have the money to be able to, to, you know, pay for a publisher. You know, what are the obstacles that could get in the way? Then when we know what those are, now we can create some contingency plans, which is if this happens, if it's time for me to get a publisher and I don't have the funds necessary, then I will fill in the blank. Discuss what you will do in response if this happens. If I start letting fear, you know, take the wheel, then I will remind myself, you know, fill in the blank. What are those things you need to be reminded of when you are feeling fear? And so when we do that and we pair these two things together, not only do we increase our our confidence because we increase our competence, what we're going to do, our ability to overcome obstacles increases because we've created a plan on what we're going to do if it happens. And so that's one way that we can actually use negative thinking to our advantage is to use it in the planning stage. What are we going to do if that happens? What am I going to do if that guy does take me yard? What am I going to do if fill in the blank and then connect it to a behavior that you'd want to follow? What we do when we create these contingency plans is we create a link in our brain between a situation and a behavior that you want to follow. And so it's a really great way to kind of, you know, overcome some of those fearful thoughts or situations that we may or may not want to have happen, or maybe have happened in the past and we want to be prepared for them in the future. Um, that's one way that we can use it. Another way we can use, it, I just thought of on one of my clients recently, he was really struggling with procrastination and he goes, and I know this is a big issue because I've, I essentially only get motivated when something's about like on the line. So I may not respond to this email right away, but when somebody finally emails me back and says, hello, did you get my email? I feel motivated to do it. And in the end, I end up losing clients that way. And he's like, I don't know what my deal is. And so one of the ways that we can actually use that kind of negative thinking or negative situations to our benefit is that a lot of times when things are far away, the reason why it's difficult to act is because the consequence isn't immediate. But if you can bring the consequence close to you, that reminding yourself what happens if you don't do this, what happens when I do that, that we can actually bring that consequence close to us to motivate us to do to do something about it. And so that's a reason why a lot of, you know, dugouts, they have, you know, if they lost to somebody in the playoffs, they've got the picture of them, you know, in their locker room and they all smack it as they walk out because they're like, I'm not losing to you again, because it brings back that emotion and what we know is the emotional centers of our brains are responsible for decision making. And so we can use some of that science to our benefit in different ways, but it's situational. So it's not never think negative. It's we need to make sure that we're, however we're thinking is benefiting our performance. And that's one way. That's a couple ways that we can use it to benefit us. So so baseball teams hang pictures of you got you. You dropped a lot there that I want to talk. I about. did. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry at all. Cause it's all great stuff. But so baseball teams hang pictures of, so like I was always under the impression that professional sports teams like tucked it away. Like I'm going to ignore the fact that that happened kind of a thing. Like, Oh, mm -hmm. this is, this is this time. That was that time. But you're saying it's the opposite that they, some teams have some pictures teams. of it. Some wow. teams will have a constant reminder of, I don't like every day. That's their reminder that, I like if you see that, okay, if, if you're just going out for any day of practice, 
Yeah. And you walk out and you're just like, there's no, I'm like, okay, it's just practice. But if you see the picture of the person that defeated you guys, and let's say you're you're only your third game into the season and you have a hundred, you know, 60 plus games, that is a motivator. It brings the end to the forefront. And so suddenly it helps that motivate that to motivate a little bit better. So again, it doesn't work for everybody, but I know there it has worked and has been beneficial for certain people to bring the pain closer because it's the pain that motivates. And so, um, and it, it's the pain that causes, uh, it's a catalyst for change. Wow. So I, I didn't really, th- I guess I've, now that you're saying this, I'm going through some of the people that like I follow that are hyper, like Tom Brady. I'm mm-hmm. a big Tom Brady fan, which I was never, I was not always a Tom Brady fan. I actually <laughs> hated that guy up until like five years ago. Um, Cause he just keeps going. I don't know what, I don't like, know how, what, how? <laughs> what are you putting in those shakes, you know, which I guess we all just found out that Tom Brady doesn't eat the ends of a banana. So I don't right? either count too. So, <laughs> but like he um, posted something on his Instagram where it was like a video of all of the quotes and tweets that the media were sending out about Tampa. And him, and he played him back in that reel on his on his Instagram, which I'm sure everybody's seen. But oh, yeah. uh, as soon as you say that, I'm like, wait a second. Like some of the high performers do that. Whereas I was always on the impression it's like that was then, this is now. Put it out of your mind. But like I guess sometimes you just gotta sit in it. And you know what? I'll tell you this. This is the best part about mental performance is that not every skill is gonna work for every person. Yeah. And so for some people, that's such a distraction that that's not a good strategy for them. But other people, they like to put that stuff in their locker. That's the thing that they want to see when they get to practice, because that's a reminder that like, I'm going to, I'm, you're not going to outwork me even in this, even today in practice. And so that it can be really beneficial. And like Tom Brady said, like, I, I kept my receipts yeah, that exactly. like, I, I never forget what you said. I never forget that. And like Aaron Rodgers was really similar to this. Like, you know, he, I remember my favorite video is, uh, is she was being interviewed by a reporter and he, she's like, what do you want? What do you want to say to the critics? And he just goes, shh. <laughs> and I, I loved it because essentially he just let his game speak for himself. And so, um, so I think that here's the thing, we all have critics and I think you can use it to your advantage. Um, by knowing which strategy works best for you. And so to play off that, how do you find your strategy that works best for you? I know that's like a loaded question and probably we don't have enough time to really break it down. But like, how do you find what works for you? You have to test it out. You have to try it. How else would you know? Yeah. And so for for my guys, what I say is like, hey, I want you to try this out. Like if we have something and we have a strategy, I want you to try this. And I want honest feedback. Like if you, if you hate it, I want you to say, Lauren, that sucked. And tell me right. why, because I won't know how to then pivot if I don't get the honest response. And so what we do is we test out a couple ways. And so try it, see how it is, write about it. Like journaling is one of the most powerful underrated skills that we all have ability to do. It's so e- I mean, I shouldn't say so easy, but in turn, it's a simple thing that can be ignored easily. Um, but it's so powerful because we gain all of this knowledge from, from our moments and experience. You don't, you don't learn from, you don't, I should say you learn from experience, but only if you choose to experience itself doesn't mean you learn. And so when people say, um, you win or you lose, I hate that more than anything. No win or lose. You should be learning. Like, 
not you win or you learn. Like I hate that so much because there's a winner and there's a loser and whichever one that you are, you have the ability to learn. And so if you lost, yeah, that hurts, but sit in that discomfort, sit there, have the courage to sit there and pull from it. What you can do different. So you can go into your next attempt, better ready to deal with it. And if you won, awesome. Sit down and figure out like, why did you win? What did you do? Well, how do you want to repeat that? Can you repeat that? And you can learn from that as well. So when it comes to that, journaling is a really great way. And again, going back to that original question is testing out different ways of doing things and then writing about it, figure out why, why that worked, why it didn't work, why you liked it, why you didn't like it. And then you can make an educated decision on which one works best for you. I love that you just broke down the the learning is better than winning. So I did a, I did a whole podcast episode on that. And oh. I put out like a video and everything like that. And my DMs blew up of people just like being really pissed off at me. And I'm like, look, like it's not like that whole like winner, you either win or you learn, you're your winner, you're you're it's all progress. And it's like, no, no, no. Like it's only progress if you like let it be progress. It's not like losing isn't something you celebrate. Unless you learn something out of it and you, yes. therefore you are making progress. Like that's yes. the, and so that I, I, I had a, a guest on who knocked it out of the park when he, when he talked about fishing. So like, if you go out and you fish every day in the same spot and you don't catch any fish, you don't, you're not like, yeah, I'm a fisherman, you know, like you didn't get any better at that. But if you went out there and you fished every day and you didn't catch anything and you, okay, now I need to move over here or I need to try this bait or I need to whatever it is, right? Then you're working towards that next level of success and that progress. That's very different than carrying the same rod, same piece of bait and doing the exact same thing over and over again. There was a wise man who once said doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results is insanity. So not, not winning, right? <laughs> so well, like, since when, since when is pain a bad thing? Like yeah. since when has pain and experiencing difficulty and disappointment and all that is such a bad thing. Yeah. Like there's so much good from it. It's like not all pain is bad. Pain can be a catalyst for change. Pain can be a learning or a learning opportunity. There's so many good things that come from discomfort that if you're willing to find it, you will be so better off because of it. Like one of the biggest predictors of success is your ability to see the opportunity in the struggle. Yes. And so for me, I I don't want to ignore the struggle by saying like, oh, it's fine. Like, no, that sucked. Like, it's okay to say it. Feel the anger, feel the fear, fear all of that. Like, let's talk about it. And now what are you going to do about it? But that requires looking it in the face and not running from it. Because to me, avoidance, when we avoid things, it's psychology 101, the things that you avoid, they get bigger in size. And so let's not run from it. Let's lean into it. Let's expand our ability to tolerate discomfort because that's only going to benefit you as you learn and as you grow because you can't grow and be comfortable at the same time. Yes. So I I feel like and you're like just crushing it right now. So you're dropping all kinds <laughs> you. of I'm just over here just like fist bumping. I'm like turning <laughs> my camera off so I can just like punch things and <laughs> so I tell this to my kid all the time, right? Like it's okay to just sit in a negative emotion. Like it like boredom is a big thing for my son where he he feels like I'm I'm bored. Bored isn't making me happy. I want to talk or like do this or like I'm like, dude, just sit in it. 
Like, it's okay. Like, I, I want to talk to you. Let's talk. But don't just, like, it's okay to be bored. It's okay to, like, there shouldn't be good feelings and bad feelings. There's just feelings. And it's and yeah. then it's, like, our idea that surround those feelings. It's not like, ooh, I never want to feel that again. Or I right. never want to be sad. I can only be happy. No. It's like, well, yeah. oh, that's okay. These are normal things. They're there to teach us things as we go as we go along like our ancestors relied on these feelings and these you know like you know not to touch fire because it hurt right <laughs> like that's something we passed along it's it's a learning mechanism that we go through so yes i love that so much <laughs> yeah well and if feel, feelings aren't facts they're yes. signals they're data points and we get to decide like the meaning that we attach to them and um, and, and now I, I get that that's, that's very simplifying our feelings by a lot. So yeah. I, I understand that you're like, okay, yeah, I get that. But like, I, I understand that. But at the same time, I think that again, like when you feel bored, what is the response to that? And now being bored is not bad. Uh, and, and wanting not to be bored isn't bad either, but it's, it's, it's the process of being willing to sit in discomfort. And what we know is that the best performers in the world they don't fear discomfort. They can lean into it. So even when they're feeling uncomfortable, there's like this idea of you can feel uncomfortable and still act differently. So there's, I actually talked about to a player about this today that there's in, you know, obviously there's this idea that, um, you know, your actions and your actions, sorry, let me rewind really quick. Cause I got ahead of myself. The way that we think affects the way that we feel. And the way that we feel affects our actions and our behaviors. And yes, that's 100% true. But that's only one way to look at it. You can think one way, feel one way, and act entirely independent of those two things. So you can be angry and be in control. You can be frustrated and still like, have good focus. You can feel fear and still do it anyway. Like Your feelings and actions don't have to match to coexist. And so a lot of people, when they say, you know, well, oh my God, I was so scared. Well, I totally get that, man. I've been there before where my, those emotions and those feelings have taken over my actions and they're like, oh, I get it. I just need to fake it till you make it. And I'm like, no, I don't, I disagree with that. You don't need to fake it till you make it. You just need to learn to behave it absent of the feeling. And so for always doing things or acting based on how we feel, then your, your actions are always going to be dictated by them. And so that's one of the things that we I've taught a lot of my athletes and entrepreneurs and everything in between that you can feel this and still be here. And there's a boundary to those emotions. And we, when we create that boundary, we can actually improve our performance in so many ways because anger is not a bad thing. Anger becomes a bad thing when you take it to a different degree. Being frustrated is not a bad thing. When we take that to a different level, that can be a bad thing, right? And it can, it can interrupt performance, impact our ability to do what we do best. So I describe it kind of like fire. Fire is great, right? Fire helps us to cook. Fire helps us um, you know, to stay warm, to light candles. But fire can also burn down acres and acres of forest and do really bad damage. So when it comes to our emotions, it's be the bonfire, not the wildfire. The only difference is one is contained and one isn't. And so when we learn how to contain and, and create a boundary around our emotions, that emotion's not bad. We don't want to put it out. We just want to contain it because it can be really good. 
you know, being angry, that actually jacks up our energy. It can help us focus in the moment. And so it's just when we get past that boundary where it kind of becomes that wildfire and that's where it does a lot of the damage. That's amazing. I love that analogy. That is so good. And so let's bring it into business now. So a lot of what you're talking about, I'm going to nerd out really quick. Yep, here let's for do it. For a second. So I'm from the tech industry and in the nerd, in the nerdy tech industry, right. And I'm allowed to say that because I'm a software developer. <laughs> there, there's, there's something that you go through and this was something that I wanted to touch on before, but you kept rolling and I'm, I'm loving it. But it, when we're run, when we're rolling out what we call a beta, that's like a trial, yep. right? When mm-hmm. you had said like, what, what it works for you? Well, we're going to try it all out. Are you trying multiple things at once? So when I'm in the tech industry, if we roll out an app, like we'll put buttons in multiple places and then we'll be like, which one did you go to? Why were you drawn that way? So like are, when you're rolling out, like trying to figure out like what works best for some, somebody, are you trying multiple things? Or are you really trying to pinpoint on like one thing at a time? I typically like the approach of pinpointing. Um, it really depends on the, I guess, the experience of the person I'm working with. If somebody that I know, like they're, we've worked together for a while, they have a lot of experience in mental performance, then I might be able to give them a little bit more. But typically I like to start really simple. Um, because a lot of people, they underestimate how much they can do, um, you know, in a, in, in a, they underestimate how much they can do in like a month's time and they overestimate how much they can do in a day. And so if we can, if we can just, you know, really simplify it down and just have like a singular focus and create the habit, you know, James Clear says that you can't improve a habit until you have one established. So first I care about the consistency of whatever it is that we're doing. Then we can jack up the intensity. We can add things. We can, you know, we can refine, we can do all of that. But if we don't have a foundation yet, I typically like to really build a really strong foundation because the strength of your foundation is going to determine how much weight you it can hold. So for me, I really spend a lot of time foundationally before we kind of build on top. Yes. And that plays for emotions as well, I assume. Are we pinpointing? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I I love that what you just said there, because I've said that exact quote that you're going to underestimate what you can do. I I say it in in years. So you overestimate what you can do in a year and underestimate what you can do in five. That's like I've regurgitated that so many times on this podcast and in life because I love it. People are always like they're on fire, right, to start. They're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then like a little bit of adversity comes in and you're like, hmm, I don't know. You know and, but if you just be consistent just a little bit at a time, those, those wins will start to pile up. And then yep. five years, a month, whatever your time frame looks a lot better than it did day one, right? Mm-hmm. It's so, so true. Yeah. Let's relate that into business in the military now. So w- when we're talking about sports and we're talking about these mindset and we're talking about all of these, all, everything we just went over there, which is all gold, right? I'm not a professional athlete as much as I pretend to be with my child. Like at front today, I was playing shooting lacrosse ball around and I was basically Paul Rabel. But since I'm not Paul Rabel, how can we take some of this stuff into business? And then how have you worked with it? Like in the military as well? Yeah. So my brother, he was a, he was a, now he's moved on to non-active duty, but he was an active duty special operations Marine. 
um, in MARSOC. And now he trains a lot of MARSOC uh, Marines. And so we've worked, we've discussed a lot of this. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, either focus, the emotional boundaries, and um, and no, really knowing yourself. You know, you can't change anything you're not aware of. So the better you know yourself, you know your tendencies, you know the good patterns, you know the bad patterns, you know kind of everything in between, then we can look at those and go, okay, what can we do about this one? What, how can we improve this one? Let's say you got a lot of good patterns. Okay, let's level that up. How can we make good, your good better? And so um, for us, what I like to do is to start with, especially like in business, military, really anybody, is we start with kind of the self-awareness piece. And this is how well do you know yourself? And one of the things that anybody can do is, again, go back to that journaling piece to learn more about yourself create some time for self-reflection. And there's three great questions, really basic, simple, easy questions. But what they do is they start to make you think and reveal over time these patterns. So the first one is, you know, what went well or what did I do well today? Number two is what could I improve? And number three is what did I learn? Well, if you can answer those three questions over, you know, a couple of weeks time, you're going to be able to start to see what are those things that you are doing really well? What are the things that, okay, I need to spend more time here. And what was kind of that lesson that you pulled that you can now use in the future? Those, those patterns of behavior that you start to re recognize and I guess uh, unveil through this journaling is going to then help direct you to the path where we need to now work and, and the areas that we need to work on. You know, it could be anything from, you know, working on routines. It could be a bounce back plan when you're struggling or when you make a mistake. It could be the way that you talk to yourself. It could be, you know, thinking traps, cognitive distortions, like irrational ways of thinking and how we deal with those. It could be a, a variety of things, but I would start, number one, with that self-awareness piece instead of just like, hey, here's a mental skill, toss it at you. Let's first figure out what area you really need to work on. Then you can pair a mental skill with that. Yes. So in the tech world, everything that you just talked about is called retrospective. Ah. And it's, there are three ceremonies that you do at the end of every sprint. So a sprint is like a two week period of performance that, and all my developers are like, yeah, agile. Right. Um, and so you, you, you have all your tasks and everything you have to get done in two weeks. And at the end of that two week period, you look at it and you say, what went right? What went wrong? What can I do better? And then there's another question in there after all three that you bring those in, in together and you say, what, what can I try differently? Which is that learning process. Mm -hmm. I, lo I love that there is like a, a lot of parallel. Yeah, I love it. It's I'm like, yes, I'm like, again, I'm just sitting here fist pumping because I'm like, well, they're she, high, she gets high performers, you know, and all like professional athletes and everything in between that this is what they do every day as a kind of a self reflective piece. Because again, we we are the the um you know, we, we are important in this world of performance, right? Without us, like that performance isn't going to happen. And so uh, we are the engine. So if we're not really taking care of that, that it, it can really slow down. So, uh, so yeah, I agree. I think that that's, that's pretty awesome. And I, I had no idea that yeah. it, it was so similar. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so I took it a, a step further because like I'm from the, the, well, I'm not from the sports psych world. I don't want to say that I am because I'm not, Kinda. I just, I got a minor in it once upon a Kinda. time. Yeah. <laughs> But there was like the daily tax. Like, do you keep a list of things that you have to do in a day? Like, how do you approach your daily, your daily goals? 
I have a routine. So actually, I'm you're you are my last meeting for the day, but behind my wait, behind me and my white totally ruin your weekend. Right? No, this is amazing. You're kidding me. I saved the best for last. Um, so I have these on my whiteboard uh, up right above here. Um, I have my scheduled appointments and then my priorities. And so every night, I actually have an evening routine. My evening routine is arguably more important than my morning routine because it sets me up. Um, for the next day. So essentially what I do is I write down all my scheduled appointments first, um, things that like I have to attend at this time, from this time to this time. Then I go to my priority list and I write down about, it used to be five, but I'm finding that again, talking about overestimating how much you can do in a day. Um, I've learned that I was a culprit of that. And so I started kind of doing more so my three top priorities, things that I needed to get done that day or goals that I wanted to uh, I wanted to meet. And so I would do, write them in order of priority. So number one gets done first and I don't go to number two till I finish number one. And then I do number two and number three and so forth. And um, that's kind of how I, I look at my day. And then I have a morning routine that actually sets me up for my day. And that actually has to do with some reading and reflecting as well. And then I kind of get after it. And the, that's how I schedule my day, though. And that's how I make sure that and keep track of kind of the goals that I'm going after. So what you just described, and I'm going to anyone who's watching this can can see these, right? I write down one through five and I have a little W and an L there at the top. Ah, of the I love it. At the end of the day. So I, when you said five, I, I do one through five and I have a bad habit of writing up to like seven or nine sometimes. And I'll catch yeah. myself and be like, that's too many, too many yeah. things. And I'll cross them off as I go and they're ranked in priority. And at the end of the day, I circle the W or I circle the L. These are called my bricks because you, you can't build a mansion in a day, but you can lay enough bricks that eventually you have a mansion. And then I, I keep score. That. At the top, so I have, as of yesterday, I was two and zero on the week because I took Monday and Tuesday off. Like I said, I was in St. Uh, St. Louis, but I'm fifty six and seven since I started this this book. So I keep wow. score like of my of my days. I love that. I actually might adopt that and start doing. It. I love that because it does like after the year you get like a really big snapshot. Like, did you, like, how did you do on yeah. a weekly basis? I mean, it's Numbers seriously, I love that. Okay. I seriously, I might, I'm, I mean, I might start doing that. And if I do, I will have to send you a picture and show yeah, you. Yeah, please but do. I love that. I, uh, there's a whole ebook of uh, how to, the art of getting 1% better. It's on my uh, website, inofaripodcast.com. Oh, I need to check that out. Pick it up there and download it. Yeah, there's so many synergies between like the tech industry. This is why I started this podcast is because I live in this island of technology over here where they do all this stuff and they only apply it to like software development. It's like they're so like developers are so narrow minded that it's like, well, that's for application development, you know, where it's like, well, yeah, but you can take that same thought process of like 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, like the release. Like I always use the, the Apple example. Apple released the iPhone, right? And we're on like mm -hmm. iPhone like, whatever 27 yeah. or something right now right and, yeah. and it's like they didn't come out with iphone whatever we're on now right they came out with the original iphone which was a giant shoebox that could do like three things right mm -hmm. and then they released the ios updates as it came out like that's us as individuals too we can't be mm -hmm. like billionaire lauren today day one right you had to work at starbucks you had to go through those other 1.2.3.04. whatever to get to where you're at now, 
but it's all the production and making sure that you're doing whatever you can get done today. So in five years from now, you can rule the world and we all are, you know, you're the, you're the president. Kind of thing, you know? <laughs> don't <laughs> like, want that job. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but I will say that you're so right. And that's a lot of times what gets in the way of people's progress is the fact that we want it now. And it's the people that are in it for the long game. That's honestly half the battle. 50 to or more, I'm probably uh, undervaluing that, will quit before the magic happens, before they, before they, you know, finally make that, um, you know, they, they get that uh, deal or before they actually, you know, break into the music industry or whatever that looks like. Many people will give up and quit before they get there. And so half the battle is just sticking with it. And now I also understand that some people, they can't. There are other things that get in the way and, and whatnot. So they have to reprioritize. I, I get that. But it still is. Half the battle is just sticking with it and being consistent and being willing to be uncomfortable. That's, I think, where a lot of this comes from. I always talk about just leaning into discomfort, like write out all the things that you fear, but you know are good for you or the things that you've been putting off, but you know are good for you circle one and go do it and rinse and repeat tomorrow. Because it, when you begin to lean into that discomfort, our, bra- our brain is wired for comfort. And so as you continue to lean into discomfort and develop almost like this relationship with it, you start to rewire your brain to lean into it and not avoid it. I love that so much. And here's my man, Brian, hitting it with the comments right there. Daily power, the daily power list rocks. Yes, it right. does, Brian. That's right. Little step actions, one through five on a daily basis. Take some action towards it. I love it. I loved this conversation. You're basically my best friend now. And oh, uh, yes, I, I was so, so glad. I was worried. <laughs> we connected on LinkedIn and, and you like post all this stuff every day. And I'm like, I, I share and like your stuff. I'm like this, like somebody listen to me because I say the same stuff. And, and she's saying, <laughs> please God, somebody. So um, I love it so much. I love this conversation. So other than, I think I have it rolling down below here, but for anybody listening, how do we, how do we find you? How do we get in touch and how do we learn more? So the best way is to go to my website at laurenjohnsonandco.com. You can get in touch with me there and all of my social media is on there. So it's going to be the easiest way to find me on social. All my, I, cause all my handles are a little bit different. So just go there. All my social media is on there. You can follow me. And I also am releasing a newsletter very soon. Um, and so if you want to sign up for that, you'll get my midweek mindset video sent directly to your inbox, plus a little bit more. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I enjoyed the conversation. I, I love just nerding out on it. Well, actually, before you go, yeah. before you okay. you've mentioned like visualization a couple of different times. I'm just going to assume that you like practice law of attraction type of stuff, but I'll just ask it up. Like are, when you say visualization, do you mean like law of attraction types of like, what do you mean by visualization? I mean, yes and no. I, what I mean by visualization is I, I yes, the law of attraction stuff works, but the law of attraction stuff, the, the downside of that is that you can't just imagine. And then like, okay. I think it was who shoot, of course the, the person's name, Jim Carrey said this way back when he talked about how he visualized actually uh, earning a certain amount, but it was before he got dumb and dumber and he actually wrote himself a check. And I forget, I think it was like a million dollars. Yeah. Wrote himself a check and put it in his wallet and he would visualize it every day. He would drive by the studios and he would visualize himself actually like getting this gig. And then 
after a while, he landed Dumb and Dumber and he got that check. And so that what he said, which I thought was hilarious, he goes, you can't like visualization is powerful, but you can't just like visualize and then like go eat a sandwich. Like you have to like go, you know, you have to go and take action on it as well. But the cool thing about visualization is that it familiarizes your brain with the thing that you want. And so when it becomes available, it's not so foreign to us. It's we've been here before. We know how to do this. We've seen ourselves succeed already in this. And so if there's a, there's a ton of science just behind like the connection in our brain by visualizing. And then when we actually go and act it now, you can use visualization in so many ways. Now there is, you can also, you can visualize your future, what the goal that you want. And like I said, you can uh, contrast that with what you don't want and then work on how you're going to work through those if that happens. But then also for any athletes or anybody out there that's just there, maybe they're injured and they can't do what they typically do. You can actually uh, imagine and use visualization to get in those mental reps because our brain is so powerful, but our brain has no idea whether or not you're visualizing and imagining or you're physically doing something. And so what you're doing is you're still creating those neural connectors, uh, connections in your brain by simply visualizing the action. And so we can still hold on to some of that skill Maybe obviously it's not as good as if we can pair visualization and action together, but let's say you can't take action. Visualization is a great way to keep your brain and those neural connections strong. Yes. Which to bring it full circle brings us back from to the very first thing we talked about, which was negative highlight reel. And mm -hmm. you visual, if you visualize negative, you, you get what you think, right? Yeah. It's all that. I, I, Lauren, this has been an awesome conversation guys. Go find Lauren, laurenjohnsonandco.com. And just there's my standing ovation because I, I, I can't get out. I love it. It was uh, it's just all around awesome podcast. I really appreciate you. And we're going to have to do a, t a number two. Oh, hands down. Anytime, anytime. This was so much fun. I, I sincerely thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Guys, go check her out. Lauren, thank you so much. And until next time, have a great weekend. See you guys. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Innovare Podcast. You can listen to all episodes at InnovarePodcast.com, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts are found. If you enjoy watching podcasts, check us out on YouTube for a visual behind-the-scenes look at all Innovare Podcast episodes. We've recently released a community of entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Innovare Mindset. That's Innovare Mindset to join the private group of entrepreneurs changing the world. Until next time, guys. See ya.